Hey everybody, Scott Burnside back for another edition of the Athletic Hockey Show Two-Man Advantage. Here we are, just about the middle of February. Pierre Lebrun, this season is off the charts. We got we have stuff happening round the clock. Uh, obviously, we're going to be talking about the new management hires in Pittsburgh. We're going to talk Miko Koivu's shocking retirement as the nonstop news story that is Columbus Blue Jackets chugs on. And how great it's going to be. We're going to talk to Jason Spezza later in this podcast. But uh, how are you doing? How you, did you, you manage to catch a breath? Yesterday was a busy day for you. Yeah, it was a busy day for a lot of us. I did. I did. And, I, and this is perfect timing. I love this part of the week. I love you, brother. So let's just get going. <laughs> All right. Okay. Well, let's let's start with the uh, – now, there's a bunch of different news, but uh, and I'm going to make the arbitrary decision, but I'd like to start with Ron Hextall, longtime foe and of uh, the Pittsburgh Penguins and maybe Pittsburgh Penguins fans and uh, the new GM of the Penguins, although he did great being pointed out in his video call, like his dad played for the Penguins. He right. had some form- formative years in Pittsburgh. Uh, as a young boy learning to play street hockey and stuff, new GM. And for me, maybe the most interesting part of the Penguins reshuffling of its organization, Brian Burke coming in as head of hockey ops and talk about contrasting personalities, talking, talk about huge hockey IQ, all of a sudden being dropped into upper management with the Penguins. What do you make of all that? Yeah, well, first on Hextall, as you know, in our off-the-air conversations the last couple of weeks, he was the guy that I felt should get it, and I didn't know whether it would happen or not. Because one of the things you never know is, okay, both sides seem to think it's a fit, but then they start talking contract. And in this particular time in our lives, the financial landscape, I was curious how that would go. Uh, but they were able to, to negotiate a deal. So that part didn't shock me. I mean, I felt that he was a heavyweight going into that process. I was completely floored by the Brian Burke hire. Uh, a, because Burke had told a lot of people he he was probably done with working for teams after he left Calgary. Uh, and B, as I wrote in The Athletic, uh, you know, the Penguins have never had a president of hockey operations. They used to always, if you spoke to different people in the organization, we don't need one. We have Merrill Lemieux. And, and it's only half joking, right? I mean – that was sort of the sentiment that they didn't need a hockey person above the GM position all these years. So it's a complete departure for them, but it kind of came organically late in the process as David Morehouse explained on the media call yesterday that they had been secretly sort of using Brian Burke as a sounding board throughout the GM vetting process. And Marilyn Lemieux went to David Morehouse and said, well, what about Berkey? And after talking to Ron Burkle about it, they went ahead and, and and offered him a job. But again, the interesting part of all this, and I'm not, I mean, it's okay. These things don't always happen in a smooth way, but then they have to go to Ron Hextall and make sure he was okay with it, right? Because they basically had him pretty much almost at the finish line or close to when they were willing to hire Brian Burke. So they hired the GM before the president of hockey operations in many ways. What do you make of the whole you know, the the partnership, because I mean, certainly what I took away from it is that, you know, Brian Burke is going to he's going to speak in in on many levels and in many cases for the Pittsburgh Penguins moving forward. And, I, and my sense of it is and, 
you know, I'm not going to overstate my relationship with Ron Hextall, but, you know, in my dealings with Ron over the years, very low key. He's not a he's not a guy who seeks the spotlight. Um, and, you know, he he's developed this reputation as as a builder. Right. He's a critical part of the King's Cup wins in 12 and 14. He did an admirable job in Philadelphia in his first full-time GM job mm-hmm. in 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 building what I think is a very good Philadelphia team but he's not a he's not a front and center guy and Brian Burke is and do you like the potential for those two different personalities you know to sort of come together or do you see them as different in, in that way at all no i think i think it's going to come in handy for Hextall to have Burke as a buffer if you will um, you know, to have Burke maybe handle calls from Morehouse and, and, and Mary Lemieux at times and, and sort of let Hextall work in his cocoon. I think that'll be, that'll be one of the real advantages of having Brian Burke in that role. I mean, I think Brad Tree Living uh, benefited from that when he was a young GM, especially in Calgary, uh, when Brian Burke was still there. Um, so that part for sure. Um, and, and you're right. I, you know, and Chuck Fletcher is the first to say it, by the way, because that's how Chuck Fletcher is. He's as classy as they come. But, I mean, Ron, Ron Hextall's work in Philly was, I think, more appreciated after his departure than while he was still there in the building of that Flyers team. But everyone makes mistakes. And, and, and you know, certainly I know Hextall was criticized locally in the Philly market for hanging in too long with, with Dave Hextall as coach. You know, does he learn from that? Um, you know, there was this talk about whether he, he struggled to communicate with others in the front office about his plans. He really debunked that in the interview I did with him last August and that piece I wrote on Hextall and the Flyers. But nevertheless, you learn from your first go-around as, as a GM in this league, and, and the league is rich in its history, and second-chance GMs really taken off. Um, you know, I think of D Lombardi, First-time GM in San Jose, uh, made some mistakes, also made some really good decisions, but ultimately gets fired. His second chance is in L.A. and he wins two cups. And he talks about what he learned in San Jose. And there's lots of other examples like that. So I, I, I really like the GM hire. I also think that the task at hand is unbelievably delicate and 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 will, will not be easy to try and still compete for a bit while knowing that Let's just say it for what it is. The the abyss is around the corner. I, I mean, there, there's not a lot coming in the pipeline. Before we move on, because there's lots of other stuff to get to, but to me, it is fascinating because, and I thought Ron Hextall answered answered the question about the future and specifically Sidney Crosby and Evgeny Malkin and Chris Letang very deftly because we don't, you know, like he's not coming in to try and turn around and move those guys before the trade deadline, but by the same token, I mean, there is at some point there is going to be a day of reckoning, and I think there's always, mm-hmm. especially in those rare moments when a GM gets hired mid-season. You know, Chuck Fletcher went through this in Philadelphia. Okay, do something. Well, <laughs> that's not going to happen, right? That's Ron Hextall's job isn't today to start making moves unless something you know a, a appears to him. But this is something, and whether it, we see signs of it between now and the trade deadline or the end of the regular season, but there are some potentially difficult uh, choices and decisions coming forward. But the, Ron Hextall's job isn't to rush into them, right? I mean, people will expect something to happen, but nothing's going to happen, right? That's not how it works. No, and and listen, like like almost any other ownership group, um, you know, 
the Penguins want to sell tickets next year. <laughs> and uh, yes. and I don't know that they have any appetite timing-wise to gut, to gut the team before they welcome fans back. So that's why, to be honest, aside from the fact that Sidney Crosby is still one of the greatest players in the game and you can still win with him, I think there's also a hesitance to go into a full teardown now because the timing just isn't right business-wise either. So those are all real-life factors in my mind. Yeah. Um, it would have been great to talk to Aaron Portsline, our great uh, Columbus Blue Jackets. <laughs> he, he doesn't writer. have time. <laughs> he was going to say, because I imagine that Aaron, every day gets up, he puts out 10,000 uh, fires, goes to sleep, gets up and does the same thing the next day. Because there is no team in the NHL like the Columbus Blue Jackets have been you know, for, for quite some time, but certainly this season. And yesterday, it's sort of like a double whammy because you have this... Uh, uh, at least it appears from the outside, this almost out of the blue decision by the great Miko Koivu, such a, a great mm-hmm. you know, presence over his career, long career in Minnesota, and then a very brief stay in Columbus. He announces uh, that he's going to retire. And then, of course, there's the, not, you know, not only does Patrick Liney, um, you know, get into the lineup in Columbus. He has an immediate impact, but also gets benched for most of the latter part of the Blue Jackets last game. And now it turns out, and Aaron was on this story as well, although the um, the local paper, uh, Brian Hedger, had it uh, as well with the post-dispatch in Columbus, but that apparently Patrick Line mouthing off to one of the assistant coaches or being disrespectful in some manner. And so he gets benched in uh, for the latter stages mm-hmm. of a close game. Man, that's a it's a lot to unpack. But it does. It, it, let's start with line eight. Not and you know, I, for me, I'm glad. I, I if if that's what happened, I got zero problems with John Tortorella laying down the hammer and saying, "No, you stay on the bench because that that's not how we work in this team." Right. Yeah, there's a lot to unpack there, and and you know, I I just feel for GM Yarmo Kekalainen. I mean, this is. Really, uh, a tr- uh, the trade of his career, and you don't yeah. want this to be happening. So, you know, quickly into it, it's been a strange year. I mean, obviously, you don't want Line A acting this way, and of course, you know, you don't want your coach benching him in general. Although, again, these circumstances are interesting, but it's been an interesting year with with Torts, and, and you know, he's in the last year of his deal. He benched Max Domi early in the season, uh, another big trade, right? And went on the radio, talked about Dubois' trade request. And so there's a lot. <laughs> it's been an up and down year. Uh, there's no question that Kekalainen and Tortorella have had a really strong relationship over the years. And I think the GM has always appreciated the meritocracy with which his coach goes about things on the bench. But you want this liney thing to work. <laughs> I mean, that's... Uh, yeah. <laughs> That's, uh, yeah. So, situation to monitor. Again, you know, Tortorella's contract expires at the end of the year. Let's see if he gets extended. I mean, to me, you're like, it is so many moving parts there, right? I mean, Line A coming up to the end of his deal, the expectation or the hope that he will make a home in Columbus and be part of that Blue Jackets team moving forward. Um, but yeah, no, there's a lot going on there. And I, you know what, I, I thought that Miko Koivu's comments too, because a lot of people say, oh, well, that's that's the John Tortorella thing too. I thought that Miko Koivu w- w- took the, you know, very classy way, basically saying, listen, I, I, I couldn't 
compete at the level I felt I needed to compete at. And and you know what? That's probably fair, right? Sometimes it's just, it's time. We've seen other players at the end, you know, trying to squeeze one more year or whatever, whatever out of it, and it didn't work. And, you know, I mean, John Tortorella's job is to put the best team on the ice that he feels gives his, him the best chance to win. And and I don't know that Miko Koivu is going to be part of that group. And and it'll be interesting to see, you know, does he go back to Minnesota and find a role with the Wild, or does he stay and, you know, is there is there something he does in in Columbus? But tip of the hat to Miko Koivu. Yeah, and I spoke to his agent uh, Jerry Johansson yesterday, and that was something that Johansson really stressed that this had nothing to do with John Tortorella. I mean, this was more personal in the sense that. Obviously, he just couldn't get up for games and was probably hard on the family side of things and and so on. So, yeah, tip of the hat for sure. And and, and to be honest, I, I, I honestly thought we'd have more of these situations either before the season even started or early in the season. You know, you think of Matt Niskanen, who really shocked everyone by by retiring with term left on his deal with the Flyers, Johnny Boychuk, the Islanders. I, I thought we'd have more because the – the circumstances of getting through this season as a player, aside from the fact you're getting paid, you know, lots of money, are not ideal. This is not a normal season. You know, the the, the protocols and the way in which you're you're having to live your day to day is is not a whole lot of fun. So, I because of that, I thought there would be guys at the end of their career like, why why am I doing this? Um, more than we've had actually. No, I, I'm with you. In fact, I I keep bugging uh, Matt Niskanen's agent. See if Matt will you know wants to chat, but he's not he's not on for it at all. Like he's completely no, he's he's doing his own thing. So and it's good. And you're right, it's good. And when you need to, you know, Corey Crawford, you get you got to make you got to make the call, and it's not an easy one to make. And sometimes the timing seems peculiar. And you right, I forgot Corey. Yeah, right. Yeah, so. Um, all right. Uh, what else we want to talk about before we get to Jason Spezza? How about, I can tell you, one of the teams that, uh, for me, I, I remain confounded as to why they aren't better is the Vancouver Canucks. And I, I, I really felt that their experience in the playoffs, I thought the late add of Nate Schmidt to the back end, I loved the Braden Holtby, Thatcher Demko tandem on paper. I, I really, I felt that they would I thought it would be Toronto, Montreal, Vancouver, really, you know, sort of pushing each other at the top of that North Division. And I tell you, it's 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 almost painful to watch because you see Travis Green and you know that he's trying to push every single button. And every single night, some terrible thing happens. Sometimes a lot of terrible things, but some sometimes it's just one or two things. Um, you know, the other night uh, against the Leafs, the Leafs weren't very good at all. Vancouver, the better team. Yet it's the Leafs that end up with the victory, and I, 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 and I know in Vancouver, things are the the the, the folks there are not happy in Vancouver, and to me that that's one of the big surprises of this first quarter of the season. Yeah, no, they are not happy, and you know all all the all the Canadian fan bases, you know, where the sport is number one in this country, are unbelievably passionate. But I will tell you, there's a distinctive flavor to the Canucks fan base, which I love. I mean, honestly, that that fan it's base true. is so dialed in, and and on top of the smallest detail with their team, I, I I love the interaction with them, even though they don't always like what I have to say. Um, yeah, they, I'm surprised too. Like you know, I think I 
my Canadian division rankings at the start of the year, I had Toronto, Montreal, Calgary, and then I had Edmonton, Vancouver in a dead heat. I, I can't remember if I put Edmonton or Vancouver fourth, but that's sort of how I saw it. And A, I've been really wrong about Vancouver so far. And I've also been wrong about Winnipeg, who is really doing well and uh, yeah. in, in, in a playoff spot right now. But anyway, um, you know, the Canucks – Really, I mean, they, they, they've they got to tighten up defensively. I know that's a Captain Obvious thing, but boy, oh boy, you cannot. I mean, I, I covered in studio a lot of the Habs Vancouver games this year. And and yeah. the Habs spent all night on two-on-one breaks. I mean, it's just like the defensive structure. You know, Jacob Markstrom covered up for a lot of defensive liabilities over the last couple of years, really at an MVP level. And we knew that. I just felt... And I felt pretty confident in this, that the Demko-Holpe duo could maybe not quite at the same level at Markstrom, but at a pretty decent level also cover up for some of it. And frankly, that hasn't always been the case this year. Both goalies have been up and down. But again, it's not really about them as much as the defensive play. And Quinn Hughes has struggled at times. He's going to be unbelievable. I'm not worried about him, but but he has. And you have to say it. And again, that's a you know, that's it's sensitive in the Vancouver market to talk about because obviously they love this kid as they should. He's, the guy's going to win a Norris trophy, but he has, he has, you know, the old sophomore thing at times here this year, but it's more than that. I mean, you know, you, Nate Schmidt has not been great so far and, and, you know, um, I thought he would be. Um, yeah. so that's, so that's not been a great fit so far. Um, so yeah, lots to chew on there with the Canucks and and obviously the heat on Jim Benning, the heat on Travis Green. And one thing that frankly doesn't help, although I'm not suggesting the record would be any different, but you know, they, it's a Canadian market. They should have extended Travis Green before the season. You, yeah. you can't I mean, I understand the financial landscape and the uncertainty and everything from the ownership perspective, but you're you're asking for another story angle here by having your coach coaching in the final year of his deal. And I think he is a very good coach. So if they think that, they should have just extended him as opposed to waiting on this year. Well, it also doesn't help that, you know, they sort of, you know, they had cap issues like every lot of the, you know, a lot of NHL teams had cap issues. And, you know, I I think they would have. In fact, I I was really I, I thought Tyler Toffoli was going to stay. Like my impression was. They loved him. He really liked Vancouver. You know, looked like he was. You know, they would try. Mm-hmm. And they would be able to find a way. And, and then it's sort of. You know, Jim Benning sort of like. Well, we. They sort of ran out of runway to get it done. And and Tyler Toffoli ends up in Montreal. And you know, he, uh, needless to say, I was. I'm just looking at it now. Nine goals in twelve games, four assists. Uh, did he? Has he scored all nine against Vancouver? It just seems like it. But eight, 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 eight of the nine, actually. <laughs> Eight of the nine. Um, but I don't – see, I disagree with you. I'm not as pent up about the Toffoli narrative. It, it looks terrible because he just keeps filling, yeah, well, filling the nets. It's the optics. It, it's more the optics than the reality. The reality is, like, for example, for all intents and purposes, Niels Hoglander, the rookie, has essentially replaced Toffoli in that lineup, and he's been one of the bright spots. He's yeah. been very good. So, again, does Tyler Toffoli play defense? I just want to check. He's not a blue liner, right? No, no, I, okay. I'm no, no, but, but I, 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 I understand that. And, and you're echoing what a lot of people are obviously pointing out. I, I'm just saying, I think that one is more overrated as far as an aspect in all this. Like, I think, right. it, I mean, he was also hurt. Uh, you know, he was a trade deadline pickup, got hurt. He played about 10 games for the Canucks, I think, right? Played well. Like, he seemed like he fit in right away. But I, I guess I don't see it as, it's not like he was there for five years. And left no. this gaping void in my mind. Yeah, 
Yeah. No, I think that's fair. Uh, all right. We're, we're going to take, just before we go to a break, though, we're going to have Jason Spezza on the other side. Uh, I, I, we're talking kudos and tip of the hat. How about Barry Trotz? Third all-time in coaching wins. And it's so, you know, it's so great. We didn't really get around to it last week when, when Ken Hitchcock was on. We were talking about the Olympics. But, you know, Barry and Ken are close friends. They're colleagues. They have been, um, you know, have worked really closely together. They do so much within the coaching community in terms of sharing their time and mm-hmm. insight and thoughts. And now Barry Trotz, third all-time, no question in my mind at some point, no need to to rush him into retirement, but he's he's Hall of Fame bound, and, and truly, you know, I, I to me, he's just such an important part of the fabric of the league as a whole. But certainly within the coaching fraternity, I, I'm you know, I'm not sure there are many or any who have the respect that Barry Trotz has uh, within his peer group. So good for him. Totally, and uh, just an amazing career arc. You know, you think about the, the expansion predators and 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 all the years he put in there. It's, uh, you know, he, he's just not stopped basically from that point on. And, uh, and it's interesting because I think the exp- when you're the coach of an expansion team, that can cut two ways because there's not going to be a lot of winning early on in those days. It's different now with the new rules for yeah, Vegas and Seattle, but, but in those days. And uh, it just goes to show that people who know the game knew what Barry Trotz was up to there. And that's why David Poyle kept him around as long as he did as well in Nashville. Good point. Yes. Uh, well, maybe we'll uh, we'll pry uh, Barry loose, and he can come and join us at some point on the two man advantage before we get done with the season. But maybe uh, maybe maybe, maybe he'll be having a Gatorade while, while he's on and talk talk about how smooth <laughs> it is. Smooth. Smooth. Yeah. Well, you got to stay hydrated, my friend. That's the that was <laughs> of the many things as the Caps <laughs> were marching to their Stanley Cup in 2018. I do remember, and there were some mornings, uh, you know, especially in the final in Vegas, uh, you you did need to stay hydrated. So uh, no question. <laughs> good, good no, no comment. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, my friends. Here we go. As promised, a terrific guest for us joining us on two man advantage today jason spezza of the toronto maple leafs jason thanks for coming and hanging out with pierre it's a it's a treat to to have you aboard yeah no problem thanks for inviting me on guys well so i i want to start with uh i'm gonna take take you uh into the way back machine and i don't know i'm, I'm sure you remember this because it was probably a very um you know sort of seminal moment for you but first time i met you you and i were sitting in the windsor arena it was your draft year you had joined the windsor spitfires and uh that was the first time you and i sat down and chatted and i wonder if you could just you know tell everybody how important that interview was and really sort of a pivotal moment in your career <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know if it was uh, you know a pivotal moment in my career, but I do remember that early stuff because it's, uh, you, you get you get uh, early hype in the draft, and, and as a young guy, it's pretty exciting to start getting your name recognized as a as a top player. But uh, I remember meeting you, Scotty. I don't know if I'd call it a pivotal moment, but uh, yeah, here we are, still at it. <laughs> I, I really wish, Jason, you had said I have no recollection of ever meeting you then. That, that would have made. That would have been a highlight for me, but uh, you know, I, I was thinking about you coming on our podcast this week, Jason. And I was thinking about the the timing of your career in hockey and how you've seen the game through so many different lenses. And you know, you, you come up through Jacques Martin in Ottawa at, at you know during the end of the dead puck era. I mean, 
it was as defensive as the game has been in the almost in the history and and led to a number of changes. That's how you came up in terms of, of your NHL beginnings and, uh, you know, with a very defensive coach that I'm sure you learned a lot from. And then on the other side of all of it, here we are now, at, you know, at the later end of your career where the game has probably never been as wide open. Uh, I don't know if you agree with that. Yeah. At least I'd in your say, career, I mean. No, yeah, I'd, I'd say it's, uh, it is it is an interesting curve. When I came in the league, I, I remember doing five-on-five breakout drills that started with the coach dumping the puck in and everybody locked onto each other by hooking and <laughs> grabbing jerseys. And you, pra- you practiced it because, God forbid, you, you let a guy get through on the forecheck, you'd be shown on video the next day. So um, we started with locking onto each other in practice, and now you get in trouble if you skate in front of the guy and, and get too much of a bump on him. So uh, the game has definitely evolved a little bit. It's a little more free-flowing for sure. Jason, I got to tell you, it's been so much fun to watch the the early part of this season and and watching you and your role with the Maple Leafs. And it, we're taping this a, a, a morning after a victory over Vancouver, and you're out killing penalties. You're on the power play unit. We're twelve games in. You got eight points, and I'm wondering. Yeah, I think we sometimes assume, no, when you play a long time, that maybe nothing phases you. But I wonder if there are moments that that you know, make this feel like almost a beginning with the the kind of uh, confidence that Sheldon Keefe has shown in you and, and what it's been like for you in these early games in this uh, in this current season. Yeah, it, it, no, it has been a transition and probably, you know, the last couple of years I've, I've uh, gotten a lot more comfortable with my role and what a good night looks like. I think uh, Sheldon's been great with me with being really clear and, and what a what he needs out of me and how I can help the team. And as a player, I think you're always just looking for a role and you want to be able to be a part of something and be a contributor. So um, I've had to change my value system and, and kind of what a good night looks like. It's not goals and assists anymore. And you know, I had the big night there earlier in the week, but that's going to be you know not the norm. Whereas in the old days, you know, you were judged a lot on scoring and producing offense. And you know, now a good night is, is winning draws, being good on the penalty kill, creating good positive momentum and, and, you know, that takes a little bit of time to wrap your head around and kind of what a good night looks like. So uh, Sheldon and the coaching staff have been really good with kind of helping me guide there. And, and then in turn, I've been able to chip in a little bit offensively. So uh, I definitely feel like I'm in a good spot with the team. And, and they've been uh, you know, really good with me. And I think I've carved out a nice role to help our team win games. Well, you mentioned the hat trick night. Uh, boy, that brought a lot of us back for sure. And, uh, you know, what was the reaction like for you? Uh, what What did your phone look like after that game when you turned it back on? <laughs> yeah, my phone was a lot of people. A lot of people that I hadn't heard from in a long time, and it was kind of fun in a way just to just to see how excited everybody was. In a way, you're almost like you're not embarrassed, but like bashful about it. Like it was like you know, it was kind of a an odd feeling just kind of getting all those congratulatory messages for a regular season game. But um, it was. Uh, yeah, it was a cool moment. Like, I, I kind of felt like I was having a good night, and you just try to stay in it. And then to see how excited the guys were for me um, was pretty neat, something that I'll always always remember. So uh, those nights, don't, they're a little more few and far between now, so it's nice <laughs> to have one. Jason, I'm curious, when you mentioned, you know, sort of, um, you, you know, re- calibrating yourself so you say okay here's you know what is my role and what how do i how do i value myself or how do my teammates and my coaches value me 
can you get there yourself or did were there people that you talked to and helped you you know find that sort of um, comfort zone with with how you were going to perform and how you were going to be judged or is that something that is complete self-discovery no it's definitely not self-discovery you need the help of the coaching staff you need the help of um, I've leaned on some ex-teammates. I've talked to Chris Kelly quite a bit, who's a guy that had a lot of success right. uh, in that type of a role. Um, but you need the guidelines from the coaches of, of what your night needs to look like. And as a player, sometimes when you leave and you're got kind of goose eggs across the scoreline and you're not, you know, the, the, you're not sure how your night went, you, you need to have things to lean back on to to, to show that you know you played a game that, that is a productive game. So. Uh, they were really good with talking to me about, you know, just, just getting draws for the top lines in the other end and winning faceoffs on the penalty kill and, you know, just creating good positive momentum and being able to settle the game down if it gets scrambly and, and just little things that you kind of take for granted over the course of your career that you do. But when you are in a fourth line role, it becomes a little more of your focus and, and that's how you have to judge your night. So, uh, Sheldon and the coaching staff, Paul McLean come on this year. He's been, you know, great with me. He's, uh, helped me a lot with video and stuff and what they're looking for. And I think it's uh, eased my mind and allowed me to play a little more free. Jason, I'm, I'm always curious how someone with your wealth of, of experience, you know, I think the same for, for Joel Thornton, Wayne Simmons, how you drop into a team like this. And for you, it's your second year. So there'll be probably more comfort for you than maybe for Joe and Wayne to do this. But how do you, how do you drop info on, on these young stars on your team without being overbearing? I mean, is it, is it subtle? Uh, I mean, I guess what I'm getting at is I, I think of some of those great Senators teams you're on as a young player, sort of around the same age that Austin and Mitch are right now, and teams that knocked out the door, not just the 07 Cup Final, but man, I thought 03 and I thought uh, 06 in many ways, I always look back and I feel like that might have been the deepest Senators team because Chero was still there. But not everyone gets the win, and 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 I wonder if you ever – in conversations with your younger teammates talk about the opportunity at hand and, and you know, that, that it's not there forever. Yeah, no, you, it is a, it is a topic of conversation. Um, you know, we did, we knocked on the door there for probably three or four years where we had a legitimate chance to win every year and didn't. And now I have that, that void in my career without having a cup. So uh, in terms of establishing yourself in a locker room, I think it's really important that you, kind of just check your ego at the door and just try to figure out where you fit on the team and, and how to become a good teammate, how to kind of have a good role. So for me, I want to keep playing and if the game doesn't wait for anyone. So if you can't adapt, they're going to move on from you. So for me, I just tried to focus on adapting my game and um, making sure that I'm doing things to help the team out that give me a chance to win a cup and to be a part of the team. So, uh, and in terms of just kind of joining a new team, I think the first time when I went to Dallas, I probably struggled with that a little bit. I didn't want to step on anyone's toes. And the first month, I felt you know a little bit awkward. And when you when you switch teams the second time, it becomes easier because you know you have to carry yourself with a little bit of confidence, and also guys expect you to as well. So um, I think it's just you have to assess kind of the situation you're in. But I think it was definitely easier the second time around. Yeah, Jason, when you when you join the Leafs, though, I mean that's a that's a different dynamic. Well, at least from the outside, it would appear to be a different dynamic because you grew up in Toronto. You're an Etobicoke kid, and you grew up understanding where the Leafs lived in the community and how important they are and those kinds of things. And I wondered if your experience, 
you know, as Pierre mentioned here, you are, you're in your second year, so you've got a, a you know, a real sense of, of the whole dynamic. Is it different than you thought it was going to be basically coming home to play in the NHL at this stage of your career? Or has it, you know, has it been what you, what you anticipated it would be? Yeah, I think it's exceeded my expectations. I think uh, the organization uh, is top-notch from Shani and Kyle and uh, just, you know, we have everything at our disposal. They, they want to do so well. They, the conversation is just always about winning and how we can get there and how we can improve as an organization. Um, and then it, you're right. It, it is special for me to play for the Leafs. I grew up a, a fan. I, I lived here. I, I'm a big hockey guy. So, you know, to, to be able to put on the, the logo, it's special for my family. It's, it definitely holds something dear to my heart. And it's a, it's a great experience. So, and then with the young nucleus that the team has, there's potential for great things. So, uh, yeah, I feel fortunate that I'm part of this organization. I know you're not. Uh, we're not talking retirement here. The way you're playing right now, that might the, we might be talking Joe Thornton esque extension of your career. But uh, um, you know, have you put any thought into what the future might look like uh, one day? Because I feel like when we've had ch- chats about the game over the years, Jason, I see a lot of GM in you. Um, but that's not for everyone either. It, it, it's a it's a grind to to go that route post career. I mean, I, I, do you try to? Do you ever picture yourself what chapter two will look like one day, or 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 you, or you want to wait before you put too much thought into that? Well, I, I think I'm a student of the game, and I'm not good at anything else other than hockey. So I'm going to probably try to stay <laughs> in hockey. Uh, try to stay in hockey when I'm done. But no, I, it's something that yeah, I, I do look. I do want to try to be a part of of a team and, and be a part of a management group as when I retire. When that is, I don't know, but I think you can prep yourself by just paying attention and just having your eyes open all the time, similar to like when you're a player. So I try to have a pulse in the room when I play, and I think uh, similarly I try to watch and see how people conduct themselves and what makes them successful. So it is uh, something that is in the back of my mind that I want to stay in the game, but also I'm not letting it you know, guide my career. I think want to play anybody you talk to that's out of the game tells you to play as long as you can and uh, enjoy it because you know you're right it's it's, it's different you're never going to get the same feeling you have as being a teammate and and being on a team but I kind of love the daily grind of of playing and uh, I think I'd I'd like to have the daily grind of staying in the game and working that way but you're you're right it it is a hard-working job. Jason when we talk about uh, making the kind of move that you did and joining the Leafs, it, it's it's not just you. It's it's a it's a family commitment, and you have, if my memory serves correct, uh, four daughters who must be what between six and twelve. Am I am I in the right category and in, in the age bracket? Yeah, yeah, they're all. Uh, my oldest is turning eleven, so they'll be like eleven, nine, seven, five, all in the next couple months <laughs> here. So, oh, we got birthdays coming up. Uh, I wonder what that's been like for them and maybe for you to watch uh, what it's like for them now to be children of a Toronto Maple Leaf in that market. Have there been things that have surprised you about that part? Are they, and I know it's school is wacky and maybe it's all remote, but in the time that you've been there, have there been moments that have, you know, sort of reaffirmed that this really is a good space for not just you, but your family to, to, to have them experience this part of your career and in, in your hometown? Yeah, I think that's, you know, when I talked about exceeding expectations, that's probably a, a big part of it too, is my kids are in a school that we know they're going to be in for a long time. My wife has a chance to get settled and 
we're around my parents, we're around her parents. Um, it's it's special to be able to, to continue to play and be around family and allow my kids to grow up in an environment that they'll be able to make some friendships and, and stay together. So um, it allows me to play free and focus on hockey and it allows them to kind of move forward with, with life. And um, yeah, it, it's been really cool. In terms of the girls paying attention to the hockey, I, I can't say they're too interested. They they check the box scores in the morning because they want to know what type of mood dad's going to be in. Uh, it's kind of what my oldest tells me. And then uh, from there, they, they, you know, the kids talk about it at school, but I think they downplay it quite a bit. You know, they just want to be regular kids like anybody else. But uh, they probably get a little more attention just because they play for Leafs, but uh, they handle it in stride, and uh, it's been great for our family. Jason, before we let you go here, uh, next on tap for you guys, uh, Habs Leafs, and uh, top two in the All-Canadian division, um, you know, you're going to play them a bunch of times this year. You played them opening night. It was a pretty fun game that you guys prevailed in extra time. But what do you think that uh, that back and forth will be like with Montreal this year? Yeah, if uh, 10-, 12-year-old Jason Spezza got to watch the Habs and the Leafs play eight, nine times a year, he'd be pretty happy about it. So I think we can't take that for granted. Uh, there's a chance we may meet in the playoffs. There's a chance we're going to meet a lot in the regular season. Uh it's a pretty special year what we're going through. I know the circumstances are not what anybody wants. and It's been very difficult for everyone. But to be in this Canadian division, boy, the intensity is high every night. It doesn't The schedule doesn't let up. And every night you look, you're like, wow, we're playing them? Jeez, it's going to be a big game. The next night, wow, we're playing them? It's going to be a big game. It's, you, know, you know how passionate <laughs> right. hockey is in Canada. It's, uh, it's going to be fiery every night. So, And then the Leafs have is obviously the fact that both teams are off to a good start. It uh, just kind of adds another layer to it. So uh, pretty cool pretty cool experience for us and, and a great opportunity ahead of us. Yeah, Jason, actually, Pierre wrote about it this week eloquently, as he always does. But do you get that, like, in the conversations in the room and whether it's an off day or whatever, are you guys talking about that North Division in the way that it seems all – I think all hockey fans in general, but certainly hockey fans in Canada, have been consumed by what is going on in that division. And I wonder, are you feeling that even in your room and your sort of daily da- daily life And when you think about hockey, that that, that North division is, is front and centre and, and really has captured a lot of people's um, imagination? Yeah, I wouldn't say we talk about it a ton. I think early in the year we talked about just how very unique situation and we're almost in our own little league this year um, and there's going to be lots of attention on it and we have to kind of ride the waves of, and, and try to stay as, le- as level as possible um, but yeah we, we listen when you, when you prepare for the games you see the teams you're playing and you know where they're at and kind of where their season's going and there's you know, pressure on certain teams at different times and we're going to have pressure on us at certain times when you lose a couple and it adds another element to it it's uh, we're being watched by a lot of eyeballs and uh, you have to kind of control your emotions this year, but it's, uh, yeah, to me, it's pretty cool. The, the good thing is, Jason, no one overreacts in any of the Canadian markets about anything hockey-wise, <laughs> exactly. so it's all Everyone's good. level-headed every day, right? That's it. <laughs> I'm telling you, though, I wouldn't have it any other way. It's, it's pretty neat to have to have the passion that's behind this, this season and the division, and I think it adds a great layer to things. 
Uh, that's good stuff. Well, listen, Jason, it's been terrific to have you come and hang out. And uh, listen, I'm glad you didn't go overboard talking about that first interview. It was a long time ago. <laughs> oh, and, God. you know, we got to keep everything in perspective, like you say, a good level head. But uh, it's so nice to see you having such great success and enjoying your, your life in Toronto. And, and thanks for coming and hanging out with Pierre and I. It's a real treat. No problem. Thanks, thanks a lot, guys. And uh, thanks for making my career, Scotty. I appreciate you giving me my first love. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no problem, no problem. It's a, it's all good, my friend. All part of the job. All right, all right. thanks, Jason. Hey guys, thanks, Pierre. Oh my gosh, that that was so much fun, Pierre, and good good for you for setting that up. Good on you. And I I, I got to tell you, tell me whether you think I'm off uh, off line here, but you know, listen to Jason talk about his role and accepting and and really sort of embracing you know what is laid out for him. I, I got to tell you, I was thinking a lot about. Um, what we saw in Tampa back in the day with Dave Anderchuk, a guy who, of course, was one of the prolific scorers of his generation. But late in his career, in a team full of young stars, Marty St. Louis and Brad Richards and Vinny LeCavalier, he became such an important piece of what would be the first ever Stanley Cup in Tampa in 04, killing penalties, leader, the calm voice in that room. You know, it wasn't about the the stats line as Jason Spencer was talking about, but Dave Andrzejczyk was was huge. In fact, if I'm not mistaken, there is a statue of Dave Andrzejczyk with the cup out in front of Amelie Arena in in Tampa. And I wonder if you get a same kind of vibe from where Jason's at in, in his career with the Leafs. Yeah, I think he's got so much to offer that way for sure. And 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 you know you have to be ready. You know, I thought it was so interesting for him to talk about being ready to. You know, changing his value system and, and understanding his new role. But let's be honest. You know, and you covered the stars for a year. You were embedded with the Dallas Stars, Scotty. You know, I don't know that Jason was ready for that during some of that time in Dallas when it started to be apparent that's where it was headed, right? And that's normal. A lot of star players aren't ready for the day when it. You know, you, you look at the way Chara left Boston and now he's in Washington because I don't know that he felt he was ready to hear what the Bruins had to sell. On his on his role, how do you resign with the Bruins? You know, and and yeah. so it's normal. I mean, I mean, you have so much confidence in yourself when you've been a really good player in this league for a long time. But clearly, what's what's happened now since he's, you know, especially here in this second year, is that he understands what what's going on in this team for himself. And I think what he has to offer is is, is so important for you know these young superstars on this team, and you know. But he, He's between him and Thornton and Simmons. You talk about three amazing influences in that dressing room and, and what that can provide to Matthews and Marner and Nylander is, is immeasurable in my mind. And, yeah, you know, Leafs are lucky to have him. And, and don't forget, he's playing for 700 grand, uh, which is uh, by NHL standards and by his standards over the years uh, is really about playing for the game right now for Jason Spezza. Well, you know, and it, listen, when it, the the real proof, of course, is going to become playoff time, and it, we know the Leafs struggles in you know having success come playoff time. But I got to tell you, I I just think the narrative is there to be written, and with Jason Spezza and Wayne Simmons and Joe Thornton, all guys who want very much to add a Stanley Cup championship to their you know, I mean, Joe Thornton's—he's a Hall of Fame guy. So, but these are players who still want very much to to fill in that last checkbox on mm-hmm. on a 
their career resumes. And it's going to be a great story if it turns out that way. It doesn't always work, though. You pointed it out, right? Not everybody gets to win. But I got to tell you, if it happens with this Leaf team and they do go on that long-awaited playoff run, I have to believe that guys like Jason Spezza and Joe Thornton and Wayne Simmons are going to be critical factors in that, especially given that the first two rounds are going to be played within that North-slash-Canadian division those guys are going to be critical. And I think that's going to be part of the narrative for sure. Yeah. And how good would Habs Leafs be in the second round? Oh my goodness. <laughs> There's lots of hockey before then. They could meet in the first round. Heck if one of them stumbles here in yeah. the standings change. So still lots to, lots to figure out, but uh, they haven't played each other in a playoff series since 1979. It is crazy. Oh, yeah. Let's make it happen. All right. Good job by you with our chat with Jason Spezza. All right, my friend, that was uh, terrific, and we are going to take a break here in a moment, and we're going to come back with our uh, Q&A segment. I, uh, do you have a name, Pierre? I, I wanted to, I suggested to Jeff Demet, our producer, I said, well, what about Ask the Dorks? But I don't know if we could get a sponsor for that, you know, the quick Q&A part. He's, a, he's got <laughs> written down, Ask the Insiders, but I, I would say Ask the Dorks. How do you feel about that? I've been called a lot of things, but I don't think I've ever been called a dork. But uh, I'm I'm good with whatever. Wait, no, wait. Do you know? Do you know who used to call us dorks? Was Joy Russo? Yeah. Oh, <laughs> Joy! Awesome yes. boss. Okay. Her old boss don't at ESPN.com. She is That's amazing. Right. One of the great right. people think- that I've met in this business. That's true. And I, I just do recall that there were occasional emails, emails like, "What are you dorks doing?" You might get her in trouble with HR dorks? now. I know. I think dork is okay. <laughs> and I do know specifically when you did break a trade from the uh, uh, Cadillac Ranch bar in uh, you know, just outside Bristol, I think the email was, uh, no more tweeting from the bar, you dorks. So anyway. <laughs> anyway, when, when we do... Oh, the one day I'm going to write my book. It's going to be I a beauty. <laughs> My friend, I, I'm always, I like to read these questions, um, and this one comes from Stephen Frank, and it's an interesting one, uh, given that we are about to head into an Olympic year in 21-22. How would you guys feel about hockey in the Summer Olympics? It is where it actually started and would solve a lot of the issues the league owners and players have with playing during the NHL season. And I, I love this. I love this idea because it it it, uh, it does. Stephen Frank is exactly right. It would resolve some of the issues about shutting down the season in the middle of the of the NHL season to go and play in the Winter Olympics. Uh, they did back in the day play in the Summer Olympics. What do you think? Well, I don't like it because I want to be at the cottage in the summer. But, uh, oh, wait, it's not about me. Okay, hold on. You know, this has come up in the past, um, and I'm trying to remember what Gary Bettman has told us in the past about this. I think, basically, it's the IOC that's not very keen on it, right? Because they've already got a very charged uh, calendar with some pretty big events in the summer games, and they view hockey as such an important uh, event in the winter games and they just I think the IOC has felt over the years it would leave too much of a gaping hole um, in their winter calendar and I get that uh, for sure and um, and I don't know to be honest how keen the NHLPA the players would be on this um, you know 
and I'll tell you why, because one of the things that actually the PA has talked about in the past is that the next time there's a World Cup of Hockey, the PA has always thought it'd be better in the middle of the season as opposed to in September when the players are, are in, you know, rhythm-wise and in, in amazing game shape. So, uh, but it makes, listen, I the, the pros for the argument are, are absolutely factual, no question about it. I mean, in terms of not disrupting uh, the season, but certainly right now, uh, too late to even think about Tokyo that, <laughs> that way, but maybe something to think about down the road. Yep, good point. Yeah, I, I'm with you on that. I think it is, yeah, see if you got the... You know, the basketball and, and, and hockey is hockey's the centerpiece of the Winter Olympics. It, it just is. And, and with the NHL players there, as we hope will be the case in Beijing in 2022, um, it, is, it is the marquee event. So I, I understand that part of it, too. Um, how about this? This is from Curtis. What are your expectations for trade deadline? April 12th, if my memory serves. Uh, more quiet due to COVID and the unknown. Um, what about Canadian teams, Pierre? I know you've written about this in the past. Will they be interested in buying and selling if the restrictions continue to exist um, with the Canada-U.S. border, with the you know going north into Canada, the restrictions there? We saw that with uh, Pierre-Luc Dubois going to Winnipeg from Columbus. What do you think? Okay, hold on. Let me just open up my notes from the last uh, trade deadline I covered in a pandemic. <laughs> oh, wait. <laughs> None. No, it's a great question. Uh, and of course, the answer is no one knows. But if I had to guess, I think it'll be a bit quieter than normal. Um, you know, the great point there about the Canadian teams, I wrote about this a couple weekends ago with the, the top six Canadian GMs from the top six Canadian teams all gave me a quote about their view of it. And, and the 14-day quarantine as it stands, and, and the Canadian teams have lobbied the Canadian federal government to, to switch it to a seven-day quarantine like they have for training camp. But if it doesn't change and it remains 14 days, it will have a pretty big impact on the trade deadline for the Canadian teams. And I think it was Mark Bergman who said in that piece for me that, you know, by mid-March, we're gonna have to look at everything. And I think what he's hinting at is, if you're going to make a tangible move, you don't want to wait till April 12th if you're a Canadian team with a 14-day quarantine for that player, right? Um, now, if you're trading within the Canadian division, that's different. Now, now you're talking as long as it's a private flight, a private charter, a 48-hour quarantine. But, you know, right now, the only team that you could already announce as a seller would be Ottawa. You know, we'll see if Vancouver can turn their season around. But obviously, you don't have much of a buyer's market there if you're limited to to within your division not to mention the very obvious fact of competing with these teams so it, certainly from a Canadian team perspective the trade deadline might be quite unique but I think even for the US teams uh, you know you know between all the the, the rescheduled games and this I, I just I don't right now and it's early but I don't smell the same appetite of a normal year in terms of wanting to make a lot of moves for the deadline again there will be trades don't get me wrong I don't want people to come back and say you said there'd be no trades there will be trades but I don't think it'll be the same volume of a normal trade deadline I think you know I was talking to a team executive the other day it feels like a lot of people are going to want to wait till the off season to to look at their finances, uh, you know, look at the landscape, look at how Seattle affects uh, rosters and, and everything. And then I think you'll see a lot more moves in the offseason than you will at the trade deadline, in my mind. Yeah, well, and hopefully by by the offseason, we are back to, you know, I'm using my air quotes, a more normal time. Uh, 
we will know or hopefully we'll know back on track with an 82 game schedule and as you point out Seattle coming is 32nd team so yeah. right and, and and you think about all the teams that are in LTIR right now and, and just absolutely hamstrung by the cap that didn't go up when it was supposed to go up right because of the pandemic Seattle comes in and sucks 80 million dollars out of the system in terms of player salary so that's huge <laughs> I mean that's in itself is going to have an impact, never mind anything else. All right. One more question before we end this, whatever we call it, asking you and I questions. This is from The Good Life. And uh, how about this? What do you think of my Panthers? And how can Anthony Duclair buy a goal from from his multitude chances? I think Anthony Duclair has been terrific there. It's been fun to watch. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you're right. He, he is a bit snake bit. Uh, also a question about whether uh, uh, Sergei Bobrovsky, Bob need uh, what will what does Bob need to settle down again? He was actually pretty good last night in a win. And as we speak, Pierre, Panthers seven one and two, nice start for them. Now it's a little bit skewed because the uh, schedule has been heavily weighted toward uh, um, Detroit and Nashville, um, but. Nonetheless, I think Bill Zito has done a terrific job there, and uh, Joel Quenville in his second season there seems to be in a much more comfortable place um, for a Panther team that uh, I'm all for the first ever battle of Florida in the playoffs. That's what I'm looking forward to. Yeah, and I don't want to be Captain Negative, but I do think they're, they're going to have a bit of a come down moment here. You know, the goal differential is only plus four as we tape this. Um, so I think they've done really well at. at, at maximizing on nights when you know it's a 50 50 proposition i think they've done really well coming out on top but but i think there'll be some regression there but i think they've got a shot at making the playoffs i think that's legit and i am concerned that bobrovsky has only looked okay right i mean he's here's a guy that needs to bounce back from last year big contract um, hopefully the new Panthers goaltending excellence department can help him in that, uh, right? That's great. Uh, Fine piece written by uh, you. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, but I, again, I, you know, I have to be honest when I'm asked these questions, I, I do think there's a little regression coming there for Florida. All right, my friend, good work by you. Uh, final thoughts. Um, I'm curious to see when you and I speak next, um, in a week's time, hopefully, you know, hopefully I, I hope that we are sort of beyond the daily postponement of games and the the machinations with the schedule. You know, at some point we have to get to to that point, do we? I mean, the NHL has been pretty quiet. I know they introduced some cosmetic uh, changes to protocols, um, but I, I, you know, at some point, doesn't the rubber have to hit the road in terms of well, can we keep going like this? And and at some point, I hope that we reach the end of this cycle and that we and the teams do get back to healthy um uh, play and are able to resume a schedule without interruption yeah i i'm not ready to say i think we're going to reach that point i got to be honest I, I i i think there's more of this coming now the league and the pa again this week are working on more tweaks to the protocols i think you'll see more rapid testing introduced and and all those things will, will be important but and, and don't get me wrong, I think we're going to have a season. I, I don't think that the season is going to be halted. But I just think we're going to have more rescheduled games here for, for a while, unfortunately. And, and you know, I did check with the league yesterday, and, and they feel that they still got lots of runway in terms of windows for the schedule maker to find spots for rescheduled games. And keep in mind that 
you know, that week after the regular season, they always plan to be able to use that as a buffer zone, which means you delay the playoffs by a week. So, um, you know, I think those things are going to happen. I think you're going to see that week after the regular season supposed to end filled with rescheduled games eventually here, unfortunately, but trying to play a season in the pandemic, man, where's the handbook? Well, and the interesting thing is, of course, that to, and maybe again, it's the numbers and the the population, all those things. But, you know, North Division just say, you know, I, I don't want to jinx it, right? I mean, but it's, it, you know, the North Division's been able to do this and it, it hasn't been the same in the States. And it speaks to, uh, you know, a problem throughout, to, you know, from coast to coast in the United States, that not being able to, not being able to get our arms around it, but the... You know, vaccines are out. It's getting warmer. I got to tell you, I, 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 we've got to get through these next few weeks, but I do think that we are headed to brighter days. But you know me, I've always been a bit of a Pollyanna. And I love that about you. Get to be positive these days, brother. Great job. <laughs> All right. Uh, what else we got here? Other pod issues that people should be aware of. Michael Russo continues to celebrate the 20th anniversary of the Minnesota Wild, welcoming NHL player agent and original Wild forward Cam Stewart. I did not know that, that he was an original Wild forward. Uh, to Straight from the Source this week at The Athletic, Kelly Rudy, such a great guy. I love Kelly Rudy. From Hockey Night in Canada. Uh, you know what I really love about Kelly, Pierre, is that he's just so honest and he's just a very forthright person. Anyway, he totally Craig Custance. Yeah. Joins Craig Custance this week on the full 60. Ian Mendez, Haley Salvian, and Sean McIndoe have the athletic hockey show Monday and Thursday. We're the meat, buddy. You, you and I are the meat, and they're the bread in the athletic hockey show sandwich. So you should check out their offerings on Monday and Thursday. And you should check out our comments section for each podcast episode at the athletic app and rate and subscribe to The Athletic Hockey Show on Apple. If you aren't a subscriber, and really, I'll just say this, shame on you if you're not, uh, go to theathletic.com slash hockey show and receive a subscription for just $3.99 per month. Pierre, I can't wait to see what the week ahead holds, and we will rejoin next week to talk about all things hockey. Good work by you today. Right on, right on.